Hey all you spooky listeners, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Morbid Curiosity, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Nicole. I'll be taking you through some of the most heinous, shocking, and morbid crimes, including, of course, the paranormal. Listener discretion is advised. Don't forget to check me out on Instagram at morbid, period, curiosity, period, TC podcast, where you can find photos related to our cases, including crime scene photos on occasion, of course, with the exception of postmortem photos. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy. Well, hello, hello. Welcome back to Morbid Curiosity. Today, we are going to do a Weird Crime Monday episode. This will be episode 33. If you have not listened to the other episodes, please go back and listen to them. I have some really interesting cases as well as other Weird Crime Monday episodes that you may enjoy. Also, please, 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 please. Um, you know, look over the sound quality. As you may know, if you are not new here, I moved into a house with my fiance. My PC hard drive got jiggled wiggled in the move process and died. So I no longer have a PC or desktop, as you know, some may call it. I don't have that anymore. So my professional podcast mic not available for my iPad or my iPhone, so I'm having to use a headset uh, for the iPhone, so just kind of overlook it. Bear with me. Other than that, let's get on into it. Um, You know, grab your drinks, grab your snacks, hold on to your tits, let's go. Alrighty guys, so before we hop into the weird crime cases that I have handpicked for you, We are going to go over the top five most notable cases of 2023, starting with number one, Alex Murdaugh. So if you don't know about Alex Murdaugh, um, some of you may not, he is accused of killing his wife, Margaret, and his son, Paul, which happened back June 7th, 2021. He does say that he is innocent. He doesn't have anything to do with their deaths, you know, yada, yada, yada. Now, however, he is also facing more than 100 charges related to various financial crimes. Now, if you didn't know, he is a descendant of a wealthy and prestigious South Carolina family, literally whose father, grandfather, and great-grandfather all served as high-ranking prosecutors in the state. Now, despite his wealth and status, He has been linked to an increasingly bizarre web of intrigue and wrongdoing, which began in 2021. So let's take it back a little bit. On September 4th, 2021, he was injured in a seemingly random roadside shooting. Two days later, he resigned from his family's law firm to undergo treatment for opioid addiction. But soon authorities would learn that his roadside incident was arranged by none other than Alex himself. His plan was to hire someone to kill him so that his older son could collect his 10 million life insurance policy. How crazy is that? 10 million. Now, state investigators also announced that they were opening an investigation in the death of a housekeeper who perished at the family home in 2018. In addition to these allegations, over the next two years, he would face charges including, but not limited to, 
money laundering, computer crimes, forgery, fraud, criminal conspiracy, tax evasion, and narcotics offenses. That's what I was talking about earlier as far as the 100 plus um, charges that they're looking into for financial crimes. So, yes. Now, on July 14, 2022, he was indicted for a double murder of his wife and son. In December, state prosecutors argued that, quote, Murdaugh killed his wife and son to gain sympathy and escape the accountability for his string of financial crimes. But before he was killed, his youngest son, Paul, was indicted for boating under the influence after a boating accident, which led to the death of Mallory Beach, one of Paul's friends. Now, he was accused of trying to cover up his son's transgressions after that. We don't really know what all happened to that, but they are looking into him because he is accused of killing the wife and son, right? Now, after... Um, Delving further into the deaths of the son and wife, police also reopened the investigation into the 2015 death of 19-year-old Stephen Smith. Now, according to the Netflix docuseries Murdaugh Murders, A Southern Scandal, investigators received many tips that his older son, Buster, may have been involved in Stephen's demise. On January 23rd, 2023, this year, jury selection for the deaths of Margaret and Paul Murdaugh began. So, if you want to look further into that, you are welcome to. I'm thinking the trial was live, which you can find on YouTube. Um, also, you can look into that docu-series, The Murdaugh Murders, A Southern, Scan a Southern Scandal, excuse me. Um, and it, it's really interesting. Um, you can look into that. Now, number two is the Moscow murders. Alright guys, coming in at number two is Moscow murders. Um, now, in November 2022, a student at the University of Idaho made a 911 report of an unconscious individual. Now, when police arrived on the scene, which was obviously like a house off campus near the university, um, the door was open. When they walked inside, they did not find an unconscious person. They found four deceased individuals instead. An Idaho coroner ruled the deaths homicides by stabbing. The victims were identified as Kaylee Conclaves, who was 21, Madison Mogan, 21, Ethan Chapin, 20, and Zaina Kernodal, 20. Three of the four students rented the home together. They were reportedly all close friends, good together, you know, like they're just living together, renting together. They're fine, right? Now, the day of the murders, Kaylee posted a group photo of herself and three others on her Instagram. Police also identified two other students who actually lived inside the home and survived the attack unharmed. They did not name these students. But Aaron Snell, um, who is a communications director for the Idaho State Police, revealed, quote, potentially they are witnesses, potentially they are victims. Now, in the following weeks of the murders, police failed to identify a suspect and cleared all four victims of any suspicion. So, they were just making sure that nobody you know, wasn't like a murder-suicide kind of thing. They cleared everyone. Everyone 
was homicide by stabbing. They're looking for the suspect, right? They also announced they found no murder weapon at the scene, so whether that was discarded later, don't know, or if it was taken with the person, don't know. TikTok went crazy over this case. Um, there was a slew of, like, um, just theories, you know, like, uh, conspiracy theories, how it was the two roommates who survived, it was a teacher, it was a food truck driver, etc., etc., etc. Um, police, I will say, have ruled out all of those individuals, you know, inside of the conspiracy theories made on TikTok. There was even, um, there was even, which I don't blame her, there was a professor who filed a lawsuit after a TikToker alleged she planned all of the murders and the uh, speculation reportedly resulted in harassment, defamation, and doxing. So, you know, guys, be careful when you're online and you are making assumptions, you know? You always have to make sure that you are like, oh, this is just my, my thoughts or this is not me. You know, like, you have to be clear. I mean, you can still get sued. God forbid. I mean, people people will take that and run with it, but just be careful when you're covering stuff like this, uh, especially when it's ongoing, because if it blows up when you think it don't, you're going to be in trouble. <laughs> so just be careful. Um, now, on Decer excuse me, December 30th, police did actually arrest a 28-year-old Brian Koberger. Um, he was like a PhD candidate studying criminology at a nearby Washington State University. Now, he, like everyone else, had been following the quadruple homicide in the news, online, you know, everything. He was actually shocked that he was arrested. The only reason why he was arrested, he became a suspect after genealogy DNA matched him, right, through family members. Um, and that DNA was collected at the crime scene. So, they immediately took him in custody and started their investigation. Now, he is reportedly the sole suspect in the case, but so far, he's not been convicted of any wrongdoing. Let's make that clear. Um, genealogy, I will say, has been a huge, huge advancement in DNA testing. Um, I cannot even tell you how many cold cases I'm seeing, like, some, which we're about to go over, some, like, 50, 60, 70 years, like, we find out who that person was. We're giving people's names back, you know, like, people who are John Doe's, Jane Doe's. We're giving their names back, whether we find the murderer or not, I mean, or, like, the person of the crime who committed it. Um, you know, that's kind of a really long time. That, that would take a lot to find, but at least we can give their names back. But moving on with the genealogy, number three, there was an unknown woman found in a sack in Arizona who was identified after 52 years per genealogy DNA testing. So on January 23rd, 1971, Two miles east of Highway 93 in Arizona, there was an unidentified woman who was found in a canvas sack. Now, on the canvas sack, it says um, there was, like, words printed. is like, Deer Park Ams Harris Neville Co. 
if I say that incorrectly, I apologize, but that's what it says. Now, she was about 35 to 40. She had curly brown hair. She had a blouse, black cardigan, um, burnt orange stretch pants with the following tab inside, which says uh, symphony is what's happening. She also wore black leather boots and boxy, excuse me, and bobby socks, possibly white at one time. Um, that's just a description of what police gave. Now, in January 2023, 52 years later, she was finally given her name of Colleen Audrey Rice. Now, after the Mohave County Sheriff's Office Special Investigation Unit, they set up a fund to raise $6,500 to test her DNA. Now, if you guys ever wonder, well, why don't they just test the DNA? That kind of thing. I will say, you pretty much got one shot at testing DNA. One shot. Depending on how many samples you have, you got one shot to test that DNA and it's ruined. So, most of the time, if a case goes cold, they'll hold the evidence until they get a really, really, really good lead or something else to where they can finally test it and be confident that there's going to be a result. So most of the time, police will hold the DNA evidence. Unfortunately, sometimes they're stupid and throw it away. But it's also not always $6,500. I mean, I'm sure it's more in different areas, different counties, states, etc., etc. So anyway... Um, October 2021, the SIU asked for the public's help identifying her and released a sketch of what she might have looked like. Now, investigators then wanted to see if advanced DNA testing would help, and in 2022 last year, they set up the public fund. It reached its goal, guys, in five days. One week, they raised $6,500 to help identify her. Now, forensic genetic genealogy helped identify her as Colleen Audrey Rice. She was born in 1931 in Portsmouth, Ohio. She got married in 1946, but did not get along with her family, so they are not sure how or why she ended up in Arizona. Investigators are still seeking help in finding out more about her life in Arizona and searching for who killed her. If you want to know more about Colleen Audrey Rice, you are welcome to look up her case, see what happened, all the evidence, what, how it went cold, etc., and, you know, follow along for more updates. Coming in at number four, a woman who disappeared 31 years ago was discovered in a Puerto Rican nursing home. And this one's kind of sad to me because of the last little tidbit, and we'll get to it, but this one kind of was like, uh, you know, this one's really sad. So, in 1992, Patricia Cota of Ross Township near Pittsburgh, PA, disappeared. At the time, she was 52, and she was also known as a street preacher nicknamed the Sparrow because of her small build, and she had a history of mental illness, unfortunately, according to officials and her family, right? Now, her family believed she had died. Um, they thought she went missing and just, you know, do, I guess maybe do... This is speculation. Speculation. Like I said earlier, you got to warn about this stuff. Speculation. This is my opinion. It's my assumption. 
I'm assuming they thought she passed away somewhere because of her mental illness, you know? Could be wrong. Anyway. Um, but this year, she was actually found alive. Um, at the age of 83. She was in a nursing home in Puerto Rico. Now, at a news conference, Ross Township Police Chief Brian Colhip always have to have to slow down for his last name. Sorry, guys. Colhip um, said Patricia had been found wandering around northern Puerto Rico before she was taken to an adult daycare home in 1999, hinting that she had arrived via cruise ship. Now, eventually, Patricia, she also had dementia, shared info with the employees of the nursing home that led to details about her past. So, she remembered a little bit, you know, said what she said, and they looked into it. Now, in 2022, the employees contacted police in Ross Township and sent officials a DNA sample from her. You know, doing the DNA matches, right? Genealogy. It was a match to two of her relatives. Now, Patricia and her husband, Bob, who is 86 now, had been married for 20 years when she went missing. He and her family said she had been worried at the time um, that she m might be put in a home because of her mental struggles. So... They don't really know if she, like, ran away from that. We don't really know. Speculation again. Um, they don't know how she ended up in Puerto Rico. But she said she wanted to go vacation there. So, I'm assuming, speculation, that she was just, like, uh, you know, at home and was just like, I'm going to go on vacation instead kind of thing. And then maybe her mental illness just got worse. We don't really know. Um now, she had been a model, a dance instructor, and she worked in finance as an elevator operator before she began showing signs of what was possibly schizophrenia. And she also was known to walk through the streets talking about the end of the world. And this is what Bob said, quote, I came home one night and she was gone. And that's what he told the Associated Press. Now, Bob never remarried. And this is the sad part, guys. Like, why would you not? But, like, he said he doesn't plan to visit his wife. Like, you found her after 50-something years and, like, you're just not going to go see her? I mean, no no hate or, like, I mean, maybe a little shade. But, like, what? But, yeah. He doesn't plan to go see her. Now, whether he has or not, we don't really know. But he is happy that she is safe and in a caring place. So, he's pretty much been like, okay, well, you're... You're good and you're alive. So that's all it needs for me. I'm not coming to see you. He he may just think that she probably won't even recognize him or something. I mean, you never know. Um, this is also what he said, quote, She could have came home at any time. She always said she wanted to go to a warm climate. Now, Patricia did have a twin sister who was also searching for her. But, unfortunately, she passed away before knowing that her sister had been found. So, another sad part. But, yeah, so he's not going to go see her. If he changed his mind, we don't know. But, yes, um, at least she ended up somewhere nice um, and, and safe. So, next one, this is our last one, the most recent ones, right? Coming in at number five, we have Jane Doe, who was uh, missing since 1987, who was also recently identified per genealogy DNA testing. So, let's get into that one. Alrighty, guys. So, in November 2008, 
skeletal human remains were discovered on remote land off limits to non-tribal citizens within the Yakima Reservation in Washington. An individual remained as Jane Doe for almost 15 years. In early January 2023, Yakima County Coroner Jim Curtis confirmed the remains as those of Daisy May Heath, also known as Daisy Tallman. While investigators did attempt a traditional DNA test in 2008, they were unable to develop a useful DNA profile and the case went cold. In 2002, however, the coroner's office worked with Othrim, a private forensic genealogy service devoted to closing long unsolved cases and identifying unidentified remains. By comparing a comprehensive DNA profile to a DNA reference provided by her family, they were able to confirm that the Jane Doe is, in fact, Daisy Heath Tallman. Now, Daisy was last seen October 1987 was reported missing two months later. It was not unusual for her to spend time unaccounted for or gone, um, as she often hunted and fished for extended periods and also regularly visited friends, families, friends and families, excuse me, at the Warm Springs Reservation in Oregon. She was mourning the loss of both her infant daughter and grandmother in 86. And at the time of her disappearance, the 29-year-old had been living with her sister. Now, a backpack belonging to her was found near the remains in 2008, along with her keys and a turquoise ring. The cause of death will remain mysterious until further information comes to light. The FBI is treating the case as suspected homicide, according to Curtis. He said, quote, I am hopeful that this may help with the healing process for family and friends. Now, her identification drew attention to the unsolved murders or suspicious deaths of at least 14 native women in the Yakima and nearby Klitikat, that's a, that's a mouthful, I did look it up, don't come for me, uh, county throughout 1980s to 90s. So, if you don't, I mean, everybody knows this, right? Um, as, as a white woman, uh, if, if we have a crime against us, it is completely all over the news. If it is against someone of color, no matter what color, black, brown, etc., um, they don't really get that much coverage. And uh, me personally, never, I never hear anything about Native American women um, on the news. So the fact that this didn't get news coverage back then and there's 14 other plus and that was just the 80s and 90s, um, does not surprise me, unfortunately. But I believe everyone should be getting coverage because everyone is a person. I don't care what color you are, what, um, you know, background you came from, whether you be prostitute, a world leader, politician, I don't care. Um, everyone should have equal coverage, and unfortunately, that's just something our world does not provide. Moving on um, to the weird Crime Monday cases. Um, aliens. Aliens. Anybody believe in aliens? Um, I do. Uh, Y'all can call me weird. Y'all can call me stupid. I don't really care. Aliens in Casper, Wyoming, 2017. I don't 
know. I don't know about alcohol, bruh, but this man was hella drunk. Uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Um, I feel like this would be more of people who like smoke. You know what I mean? Like this would be something that people that smoke would say. But this man was really drunk, so let's get into it. Um, so like I said, this was 2017, Casper, Wyoming. Uh, Brian Johnson was arrested around 10.30 p.m. after he told officers he was from the year 2048 and he came to warn the people of Casper of an alien invasion. Bryant claimed that aliens will arrive in the city next year and that residents should leave as soon as possible to be safe, right? He also told police that he was able to travel back in time because aliens filled his body with alcohol. And that he was supposed to be transported to 2018, not 2017. So, if there was an alien attack, I would love to know in Casper, Wyoming. Anyone? Anyone from Casper, Wyoming? Please email me, morbidcuriositytcpodcast.gmail.com. Thanks. Now, <laughs> um, Bryant had a blood alcohol content of 0.136. So, that man was pretty lit. <laughs> uh, those never get old. I love the aliens. I love the alien stories. Those never get old. Like, my best friend and me will sit there and talk about alien conspiracy theories. It's just a thing. It's just a thing. <laughs> uh, moving on. Release the bees. Massachusetts, 2022. I got some recent ones for you guys so yes release the bees okay this one I thought was kind of funny because I'm I'm like envisioning this like she thought she was just the biggest mastermind ever anyway uh, this one was October 12th 2022 a 55 year old Rory Wood was a part of a group of protesters at the Long Meadow home Hampton County officers were serving a legal eviction notice, but were opposed by a local group supporting the homeowners. Miss um, Rory, who did not live at the residence, arrived in a beekeeper's suit in a van full of beehives. <laughs> she began shaking the crates containing the hives, irritating the bees, causing them to come out. Quote, Never in all my years of leading the Hampton County Sheriff's Civil Process Division have I seen something like this. End quote. And that was by Robert Hoffman, who is Chief Deputy of the Civil Process Office. Um, she was obviously immediately taken into custody and arraigned for multiple assault and battery charges with her bees. Uh, she was released without bail, but the charges are still pending. They're looking into it. While handcuffed and walked to the police car, she was told that some of the officers were really allergic to the bees, and she said, oh yeah, good. So yeah, she literally released the bees, okay, um, on some police officers. Now, they're probably honeybees, so I mean, they ain't gonna really do nothing, um, but I just thought it was funny because you see her in her little uh, beekeeper outfit getting arrested on the news, and you just know for a fact this lady was like I have a, a whole army of bees and like just went through this whole process in her head about how she thought she was just the shit yeah yeah that one that one's my favorite I think so far for today <laughs> the next one I think everybody heard about um 
I dubbed it special catering service. I can't even speak. Special catering service. And this, of course, was in Florida. Go Florida. You always provide me crazy ass cases. Florida 2022. Let's go. You know, I mean, a special catering service, yeah, that would be kind of cool. I mean, if everybody was in on it and, like, everybody knew, like, everybody consented. In this case, no one consented, okay? Um, and it went south really, really quick. Um, her name is Dania Sovoda, and her caterer, Jocelyn Bryant, they thought this was going to be the cutest little prank of 2020 it was going to be the best thing ever um not only was it not cute it's also a crime okay a crime she had an april wedding and it went south quick and when i say quick i mean quick because they laced the wedding guest dishes with marijuana okay they thought it was funny it's not funny people had adverse reactions to the food um, if you've never had an edible, you've never smoked, you don't know what, how, why your body will react to what it reacts to. Uh, some people are fine. Some people feel like they're going to die. Okay. And in this case, people thought they were dying. <laughs> one guest just started vomiting viciously. Okay. Another one went to her car. She thought she was having a freaking heart attack. <laughs> Um, some guests saw hallucinations, and some had thought dark thoughts about their loved ones. Now, whether that means they were thinking, oh, you know, those, like, crazy kill people thoughts, we don't really know. But let, let's not lace our guests' food. Um, anyone, everyone, please don't do that. Now, while none of these are typical reactions of the marijuana, and I know how to say marijuana, okay? I know a lot of people are going to be like, eh, she didn't even know how to pronounce marijuana. How about we not leave stupid, silly reviews because sometimes I like to play around with the words, okay? Now, the unsuspecting crowd was horribly upset, like anyone would be, you know, especially if, you know, some people have work, some people have random drug tests, and now you're just, like, screwed over, like, everybody on your guest list. Um, it's illegal in Florida. You know, recreational use of marijuana is illegal in Florida. Like everywhere, pretty much almost, you know, besides a few little here and there's. The two obviously faced felony charges, okay? Not just misdemeanor, felony charges for food tampering and misdemeanor charges for culpable negligence. So, not a good way to end the wedding day. How about we not do that? And maybe if you wanted to do that, which, you know, I'm not going to judge you for wanting to smoke a marijuana, okay? But if you wanted to do that, you could have just been like, you know, take out the people you know that smokes as well and be like, hey, come over and do this after or some crap. Like, don't lace the whole freaking wedding party. <laughs> um, the next one I have is, did that bear just move? And by bear, I do not mean a brown bear, black bear. I mean a stuffed bear. Okay. This was Manchester, UK, 2020. So, okay. Another another last year one. Okay. Right. You know those big stuffed teddy bears that everyone is like spitting into somehow weirdly? It's kind of creepy, honestly, but... They take out all the stuffing and they fit in it like a bodysuit. 
Yeah, this guy thought this was a good idea. Um, <laughs> his name is Joshua Dobson. He was arrested on suspicion of grand theft auto, uh, driving on a suspended license, and leaving a gas station without paying. So I'm assuming that was the store without paying, not the gas pump. Anyway, the authorities tracked him to his home, intending to arrest him. Okay, they were coming over there being like, hey, you know, we know you're in there. Come out. We're going to arrest you, whatever. They looked nowhere to be found. Supposedly, he was not there, right? While searching his residence, police noticed a huge oversized stuffed bear. I... Technically, I guess they sell them anytime now, but I remember back in the day, they were only sold for, like, Christmas and, like, Valentine's Day or some crap, but another here, another here. Anyway, um, while looking at it, the bear was breathing. <laughs> uh, yeah, he was breathing, um, and eventually, you know, they were like, yeah, we know you're in the bear, how about you get your ass out? Let's, uh, let's get this over with, Okay. Now, while his crimes were more petty than bizarre, his hiding spot, we give him creative. He was sentenced to nine months in prison for his crimes. After sentencing, the local police made a statement, quote, He's now stuffed behind bars after being sentenced last week for theft of a motor vehicle, driving while disqualified, and making off from a petrol station without paying. Hopefully, he has a bearable time inside. End quote. Claps for the police on those jokes. <laughs> Good dad jokes. Yes. Um, yeah, how about not hiding inside of a bear suit if you're not gonna be, you know, non-obvious with your breathing? Okay. If, you, if he would've sat there and, like, maybe held out the stomach and tried not to move, he probably would've got away with it. He would've eventually got caught, but, like, you can't just sit there breathing, you know, like Darth Vader in a frickin' bear suit, okay? It's not how that works. Anyway, speaking of Star Wars, um, not R2-D2, okay? Florida, 2022, let's hop on in. Alright, so this was May 2022. David Proudfoot, which I must say that's a, a really amazing last name, okay? Um, he dressed up as a Disney World employee and proceeded to remove several expensive decor pieces, including an R2-D2 replica. Why would you touch R2-D2? Anyway, from its place at the Swan Reserve, a hotel on Disney property in Orlando, Florida. Again, Florida, you provide the best cases. Um, <laughs> all told, he moved both the statue, an arcade game, among other stuff, you know, over several incidents on the Disney property. He was just out there doing his thing. Like, nobody freaking noticed. At first, anyway. He had applied for a position as a security guard, and he intended to prove his worth by revealing holes in the Disney security. Like, you need me, and this is why, right? I snuck in here and touched R2-D2 and everything else, and this is why you need to hire me. Because I broke in to your facility. I can't. An actual security guard noticed his odd, strange behavior as he pushed the cart with the replica down the street, across the street, down the street, right? When he was like, um, excuse me, what are you doing? Like, who the hell are you? The guy was like, oh, I'm David E. Rogers, a Disney employee. Okay, eventually, obviously, uh, security found his ID and was like, uh, no, you're not. Uh, <laughs> we're calling the police. 
Um, he then admitted to taking the $10,000 statue of R2-D2. $10,000. But he claimed he was not going to take it off of the property. I was just showing you, you know, that this stuff can be easily moved around. And this is why you need to hire me. Right? I want to be security. <laughs> he had previously been charged with stealing about 15000 from a Baltimore County school system during his time as an elementary school principal in Maryland. The incident happened in 2014, and he faced third-degree grand theft, petty theft, obstruction of false info, and scheming to defraud charges. Uh, needless to say, don't go touching stuff. That's not how you get a job, uh, first off. Because now, if you were rejected, that's one thing. You can reapply. Now, you're never going to get a job anywhere. I mean, you probably will, but anywhere at Disney, it's a no-go, bro. Like, you don't ruin that for yourself. How about not touching R2-D2, who is also $10,000, which is insane. If that goes to show you, Disney is the sugar daddy of sugar daddies, okay? Disney World and Disneyland, they're, they're I'm scared to, like, touch their, their freaking sidewalks at this point. They're so expensive. Uh, speaking of, I remember when I was a kid, and my parents took me to, I think it was Disneyland or Disney World. I know there are two different locations. I can't remember. I think it was in Florida. I don't know. Um, I remember us going there, and they were doing their uh, night fireworks show or whatever, which they did back in the day. Um, and I don't even remember how old I was, but I remember I couldn't see very well because you had all these adults just blocking the way. And I was like, you know, maybe knee, over knee high, right? And I was like, I'm going to climb up on this rock. And that way I can see over all these people. Well, my parents were like, yeah, sure. And they were just like holding my hand, right? They knew I was getting up there. Next thing you know, this security guard had something against me, ran over there and was yelling at me to get off of the rock. Okay, I got yelled at as a child. I never went back to Disneyland. <laughs> I never went back at all whatsoever. Like, I, it, Disneyland, Disney World, I think it's, I don't freaking know. It was one or the other. I remember I never went back because I was, like, so scarred from getting yelled at for standing on a rock, technically sitting, standing, squatting, whatever, um, to watch the fireworks. So that ruined my entire night and I cried. Yeah. Thanks, Disney World, Disneyland. Appreciate you. Anyway, the last one I got for you guys, uh, where is my food? Okay. Manhattan, New York, 2022. Okay, guys, this one, this one's not really that funny, okay, but I just thought it was interesting, because, like, I don't know, it was just kind of out of the blue kind of thing, so, this one's not funny like the other ones, so, you know, just, we're still gonna keep the, the, the funny attitude, though. Um, where is my food, okay? He wanted to know, where is my food? So, around 6.20 p.m., September 18th, 2022, a 23-year-old victim all these names have been redacted or not given so just so you know we don't know who what when where don't know all i know is a 23 year old victim and the suspect is how they were named okay anyway um the 23 year old victim was standing on west 141 first street um near adam clayton powell jr boulevard i've never been to new york but the street names holy jesus 
they are long. Anyway, suddenly he saw a 6'2", 210-pound man who jumped out of a black Nissan Rogue. Um, the suspect walked directly up to the victim, who was on the phone, by the way, started an argument asking where his food was. The victim, obviously confused, uh, was just kind of like, oh, this person's crazy, and walked away, but that was not the end of it. The man suddenly assaulted him, punching him in the head, whether it be the back of the head, side of the head, we don't know. Um, he got knocked down to the ground, got up, and was, like, trying to run away from the assault, which was continuing, okay? The man pursued him down the sidewalk. Eventually, the victim fell. He tripped, rolled right into the freaking road of oncoming traffic, um, and luckily, the driver who saw, you know, what was going on had super good reflexes and stopped right before he got hit. And luckily, our victim only uh, suffered superficial injuries. Now, the victim dropped his bag and cell phone, which the man stole, okay? Uh, so, I'm assuming this guy was just, it was just a plot to steal stuff. I don't really know, honestly. This, this is kind of crazy. But the victim managed to retrieve the bag before the suspect got into the Nissan Rogue and drive off. Um, police are still looking for the suspect. Uh, they have no idea who this was. So, anybody from Manhattan, New York, if you see anything, say anything, you know, you see something, say something. That's the words I'm trying to say. Please, 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 just in case, because I'm sure it happened to other people, and it's just kind of one of those one and, one and done, waiting a little bit, doing it again kind of thing. We don't know. But if you see something like that, say something. Uh, I'm sure this could have went... 10 times worse than it did especially if that guy did not see the dude and ran right over him he probably either would have uh, expired or got seriously hurt so still looking for that dude um yeah yep still looking for him anyway guys um that is weird crime monday instagram has already been updated um i'll post the post on facebook group if you were not in our group, come join the family. Come join the weird family. I don't know why you're not in yet. Uh, I mean, we're 33 episodes together. This is pretty much like, you know, recording at this point. Let's go. Let's go. Add us. Let's go. Okay. Instagram. Even if you don't even use Instagram, if you want to see the crime photos, go add Instagram. It's not that hard to navigate. I got a lot of, oh, I don't use Instagram. I'm too old. You're never too old. Life is too short. Have some fun. Join Instagram. You never know. You can find some really cool stuff on there. Other than that, guys, you got any case suggestions, any weird crime stories, paranormal stories, um, you know, email me, please. For the love of God, nobody has emailed me yet. And I have almost 2,000 followers on Facebook and 100 and something on Instagram. I don't know what y'all are doing, but you ain't doing it right. So, come on. Talk to me. Interact. I'm dying here. Let's go. But, you guys, uh, we're back to our normally, our normally schedule. I can't even talk. We're back to our normal schedule. So, bi-weekly, every other Monday. Okay? So, next week, I won't be here. I hope you guys have a great weekend, great week. And enjoy yourself. Stay out of trouble. Don't get arrested for anything. Hold on to your tits, please. And I'll see you in a week. Hope you guys have a great day. Well, guys, that's 
all for today's episode. Make sure you tune in bi-weekly. We are every other Monday for another riveting case where I will traumatize you more than you probably already are. <laughs> so thank you for listening. Uh, don't forget to check out the Instagram at morbid period curiosity period TC podcast for photos related to each case that I cover. Feel free to send me spooky, crazy stories or case suggestions at morbidcuriositytcpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate the podcast on Spotify and Apple Pod or whatever you're listening to us on. Um, I do appreciate all you spooky listeners. Please stay kind, stay spooky, and for the love of God, don't murder anyone.